Oh, oh, one more thing. Just One More Thing, a podcast about Columbo, where we're trying to go through each and every single episode of the beloved 70s murder mystery show. I'm R.J. White. And I'm John Morris. This time around, we're talking about Identity Crisis, originally broadcast in November 1975, written by William Driscoll, directed by Patrick McGowan, and starring Patrick McGowan, Leslie Nielsen, David White, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. And each time out, we're uh, joined by a special guest. This time around, it's Molly Eichel, who's a columnist for the Philadelphia Daily News and a writer for the AV Club. Uh, but before we bring her in here, uh, John, what happened? Let me tell you, RJ. Super spy Leslie Nielsen is shot dead by a naked gun, which brings the police squad down on secret agent Patrick hey, McGowan. While Nielsen is dead and loving it, McGowan is made a prisoner in his own lies. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Columbo must avoid becoming bewitched by CIA Director Larry Tate. P.S. Escape from Alcatraz. John. Yeah. That's not what happened. That was the best. It was the best. That was the best thing I've ever done. So glad we didn't run through that before the show. Well, anyway, <laughs> then I guess it'll be a surprise when we actually talk about what happened in the program. Uh, Molly, welcome to Just One More Thing. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, my first question, uh, I need to get this out of the way, uh, given our last episode, our last guest. Traumatic episode. Did did you, uh, had, had you seen uh, much Columbo before uh, we asked you to do this thing? No, so this is my, like, for, like, I knew about Columbo, and I knew the basic tenets of, like, just one more thing, and I know Peter Fox, but I know him from, like, The Princess Bride and, you know, Serpentine and right, things right. like that, so, like, yeah. I, I don't know him from, I don't know him from, I guess, his most famous role. Right. So, let me, ask, a big, yeah. <laughs> but, let me ask you this, uh, did you hate the very premise of the program, <laughs> and did you hate the episode? No. You okay, know, then I we're in good shape already. I thought I would. <laughs> All right, good. Then, then we're already starting off a little bit better than our last program. Great. And let's get going. All right. Uh, just, so, just so Molly, just so you know, our last our last guest uh, had a confrontational view of Columbo, so we're just we're laying. Oh, some that's so sad. Hated the very idea of the character <laughs> and the program. So, All Lord, right. so Lord. we're already we're already doing better. So our audience is already going to hate this one less than they hated the last one. So, ah, uh, fun. Bygones. Anyway, uh, so uh, who wants to start with uh, what they kind of thought was interesting about the show? Well, actually, do we kind of want to go through what the show, the episode yeah, is actually about? to try to actually do it straight, because I thought you'd appreciate the, the title dropping. No, no, it was good. There was a lot of title dropping. There's, I thought it was going to end after the uh, Leslie Nielsen stuff, but it, you just kept, you drove it right through to, to Bewitched. I was surprised. Hey. We went to the, the Larry Tate. I'm personally Tate. quite impressed. Yeah. You go, you go from funny to not funny and ideally back to funny. <laughs> ideally. ideally. Ideally is a big word. No, but uh, we, we were, that was fairly accurate. Basically, uh, Patrick McGowan and Leslie Nielsen play uh, uh, super spies. 
McGowan is a CIA operative. Uh, Leslie Nielsen is a, a independent operative, codenamed Geronimo. <laughs> yeah, for some weird who, reason. Uh, who has been, and McGowan has apparently been dealing uh, on his own with assorted per, uh, personalities in order to make a little uh, extra money in what Leslie Nielsen called down in banana land. <laughs> yes. And uh, rather than pay off uh, Leslie Nielsen and uh, risk him uh, exposing the secret backroom dealings, McGowan gets him slaughtered uh, uh, under a boardwalk. Yes, in, in a, a very, very blunt way, which I thought was very, interesting. Yes, very, very, yeah. very hardcore, too. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uses basically his, his uh, CIA cover story and his CIA connections in order to obfuscate the murder and try to get Columbo off the case. But Columbo is laser-focused, except for a little excursion where he was eyeing a belly dancer. Yes, exactly, yes. Which and is that's, he wasn't that's, really focused on that belly dancer. That was like, that, that was like a whole oh, plot point. There, there, this, this episode, so this episode is directed by Patrick McGowan, uh, which, like, I don't know if I want to get into, like, just some of the odd choices in this episode first, or if I want to, if we want to get into the, um, because Patrick McGowan was doing it, like, the the weird references to past Patrick McGowan television shows, Very which popped up. By the way, that's the inspiration for the title uh, dropping I was doing earlier. But yeah, know, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I'm not hurt. I mean, I mean, the biggest, the, the the biggest one that keeps popping up here is the uh, the prisoner. Yeah. Which, uh, like, five or six times, um, Patrick McGowan says in this episode the line "I'll be seeing you," which is one that just kept coming up in the TV show The Prisoner over and over again. And they drop it in that he says that that one so often in this one, like so obviously. And like, I, I'm wondering, I can't remember, like, was the prisoner, it wasn't a super popular show, at least here in the U.S., was it? I mean, were there a lot of people who would have gotten that reference on an NBC Sunday mystery movie TV show thing back in like the mid 1970s? Like, I'm not sure. Seven. By '75, it was still a cult show, wasn't it? When was yeah, I mean, it was. Still, I mean, they pretty much probably just ran on PBS stations over here around things. So it was like I think the show well, was on in Britain in the '60s. No, no, it it was first. I I'm going to double check this, but I believe the Prisoner was simultaneously first run in the U.S. Oh, and really? The US. Yeah, in the oh. UK, it was broadcast on CBS. Maybe hold on. Oh, weird. They ran uh, that stuff on CBS. I'm impressed. Go go, go I, CBS I, in the '60s. You weren't old I, uh, Beverly Hillbillies. I, I may be wrong about that. It was an ITC production. I'm looking this up as we talk. Hey, why don't you talk to Molly for a second? And I'll hey, like, so, okay. Uh, so, Molly, uh, having not seen uh, any Columbo really at all before this, uh, wh what did you think of the actual just kind of basic way the show works? Like, how did it strike you? You're a person who, who writes about television a lot. Uh, also, like, uh, what did you think of it? Well, okay, so I, I pride myself on kind of having a long view of TV and, um, you know, I've, I've really liked doing my research and, and so we thought of Columbo as just like one of these gaps. So glad I saw it. One of the first things that struck me, though, was that, you know, current TV from, I mean, Tony Soprano is the kind of guy that ushered it in. And then, like, through the knockoffs that you have today, TV is so defined by the anti-hero, by, like, the asshole guy who you're supposed to root for even though you really kind of don't want to like it was kind of refreshing to see this guy who i was like well you're adorable <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about like how your life is like how much you love your wife and like you know you have this bumbling aspect to you you know to this character that you know really doesn't you know 
it was played, that bumbling aspect was kind of played for last at the beginning of Breaking Bad and then was, oh. was dropped, was, you know, was dropped for a reason as Walter White became this, like, became the drug kingpin that he became. But, right. like, it was kind of nice to, like, have a character who was made up of all of those quirks opposed to one that, like, had those quirks despite what he became. So it was, I don't know, it was kind of refreshing to, like, not have an anti-hero, but to, in fact, have a hero. Oh, okay. I never really thought and of it like that. Comparing, Yeah, I never thought of comparing him to, like, the current of, like, oh, yeah. Because, like, it's, like, um, the, yeah, your current crop is these, like, horrible men from, like, you know, Tony Soprano was an like, terrible, terrible guy, but, like, the creators have made it so that you love them despite their horrible actions, but... You know, Columbo is the exact opposite. You love him because he's a sweetheart. But, I mean, did you ever get the sense of it that, he, that some of it's kind of a bit of an act? Like, he's kind of doing it to throw uh, the other person off a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely an aspect of his character. Like, he's clearly like, the, I'm going to wear a rumpled shirt and I'm going to have, you know, my hair is going to be out of whack and I'm going to be the opposite of this, like, smooth, the smooth mood detective. But... It doesn't matter because he still comes across, you know, the act works for the audience, too. Like, he's, he's successful at it. So it doesn't really matter whether it's an act or not because he's still just, like, a sweetheart. So as, like, my percep- my perception as an audience member was, like, yeah, well, it's working on me, too. Like, All right. I, would totally, I would totally, like, let my guard down around this guy and just, like, keep on... Saying like telling him all of yeah. my secrets. Yeah, and like, and like saying this. too much and like letting too much out there and like pretending you're like assuming you're smarter than he is. So like, oh well, he's never going to figure me out that I killed this. Right, dude. exactly. Yeah. Don't you know what's interesting? Said that like, don't did once said that like her greatest asset as a reporter was being like a small white woman because people just thought she was unassuming, and I thought oh. like that. I thought of that when I thought Columbo was like, oh, oh yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. like a bumbling idiot. <laughs> so like that's adorable. <laughs> You know, what's interesting is that this episode uh, is remarkable among some of the fandom for Columbo being fairly peevish during a lot of it, like uncharacteristically peevish. Uh, If you check out the IMDb boards, uh, there's a couple folks who are uh, were displeased with how brusque he was with the uh, other police officers at the scene of the murder. Really? They get mad about that? Yeah. Actually, I watched this. I kind of feel like you're dumb. (laughs) Yeah. It, he was a little shorter with him than he normally is. Usually he's very unassuming. He's a little humble. He's distracted. Uh, when he showed up at the murder scene, he was very direct and uh, and maybe a little short. I See, thought it was. I liked that because it shows I like, would, oh, he's there. He's he's just going to goddamn work. He's just getting down to cases and just kind of like, all right, I'm doing this. All right, I'm examining the thing. And he's working on a completely different level than these other guys pretty you much. Know, I, you know what I thought it was? was uh, he gets to this murder scene. And the first, the first word somebody says to him is, I think it's a, it's a, a patrolman or someone else in uniform, rather flippantly says, welcome to Mugger's Haven. And Columbo, as we know from other episodes, is a detective is a, who takes murder very seriously. Yeah. And I think that flippancy might have irritated him. Oh, maybe. Well, I mean, even this then, too, like around that, just like a couple of seconds later, I mean, he's, when he's examining the body, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's that kind of almost really nice moment where he finds the uh, uh, the dog tags and he's reading them. It's like, with love for Malice. And he's like really sad about it, kind of. Yeah. He's kind of like, ah, yeah, no, it's... it's. I think it's fine. 
And and I, I, I can't believe I'm disagreeing with an IMBD, IMDB message board person, but... Oh, dear. With Columbo <laughs> fan 516 but I'm guessing... Let me, just, uh, let me just chalk up the additional enemy you've just made here among yeah. the IMDB message boards. Yeah, whatever. They're not listening to this thing. I mean, like um, uh, and also, uh, speaking of the cops that he uh, comes up to, it's it's another recurring character. Uh, he goes Kramer. to the bar. Uh, Bruce Kirby is uh, actually up in the bar interviewing, like, the bartender. Uh, Bruce Kirby, who has been a couple we've talked about before, uh, shows him time to time playing Sergeant Kramer. And it seems like the one guy in the force who just really uh, is annoyed with Columbo all the time, pretty much. And is usually... He just he just can't seem to believe Columbo. Yeah. Like, he just, every, every mannerism, every uh, leap of logic, it's just... Just bugged by him. Guy, yeah, why is this guy not more of a cop? Yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's exactly it. And, like, you know, the whole thing, he's trying to get his attention while Columbo's just, like, fixated on the uh, belly. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out for a long time, playing it several times, what the heck Columbo is saying about the belly dancer when uh, uh, Bruce Kirby finally wall? gets him. Yeah, when he punches the wall. I couldn't figure out what he was saying, but you you We got of, it. No, we, I was wrong. Oh, what is I, it? Because there's he, this thing. Like, he's he's looking at her, and then he says something. Like, he's trying to figure her out. Like, looking at her yeah. eyes and punches the wall. He doesn't he say she's shy? She said, yeah, he says he she's shy. She's shy. That's what it is he's saying? And he's just, oh. it just amuses him tremendously that she's she's skimpily dressed. She's dancing like that. But she's actually really quite shy. That's what it is. Holy crap. Yeah. That makes that an amazing goddamn uh, line delivery to me, then. That's awesome. I, so the entire scene, he's trying to figure out what it is about her. That's the reason he's distracted, not because he's leering mm-hmm. at her. He's trying to figure out there's something. About, well, geez, that's I didn't know that. That's great. He might he might be leering a little bit. Yeah, but still, but he's still trying to figure <laughs> out what the heck it is, and that's oh, that's really interesting. Well, thank you, John, for uh, Oops, for, John and Molly for because uh, I just got bad ears or something. I don't know. Too many podcasts. <laughs> I suppose it's hard to hear. Yes. Hey, we're, uh, I want to I want to reel back uh, to the opening scene actually. Uh, it's and a how... sweaty, sweaty Leslie Nielsen. My, that guy so takes sorry. his jacket off, and it's like he's he's got like a butcher paper that's it's been drenched in uh, olive oil on his back for crying out loud. Good lord! Uh, I was we were just noticing how hard it is now to take any Leslie Nielsen scene. Oh seriously. yeah. Oh totally! And, like I immediately was like, oh he's. He's Frank, he's Frank Durbin. Like, where, what? Do you, like, what ridiculous thing is he about to do? <laughs> he he asks the the bellboy, the bellhop. Uh, you know, what's behind there? He goes, "That's the mini bar." And I was just waiting for a punchline. <laughs> Didn't happen. He takes his jacket off. I wanted him to take off like three jackets. He done does his shoulder holster. Holster. I wanted him to take off like a knee holster. You I, you want something absurd to happen? And it, he's a serious actor back then. Yeah, that was that. That was weird. I thought about that today. Actually, was the fact that, I mean, uh, let's see. It was, I grew up as a little kid, you know, like eighty two. I saw Police Squad, the TV show, mm-hmm. and then the airplane movies. My parents watch an airplane. It's like that's the Leslie Nielsen I grew up knowing pretty much. Yeah. So it was. It's been weird my entire life to think of him having this serious role anytime before like 1980 or so is ever playing like a heavy in something like that yeah yeah but he he really i mean that's that was the joke in airplane and in police squad was that he was known for being 
a straight actor, and then they just made him a straight man. But it, it occurs to me that there's there's oh, there's got to be kids who are like nine, ten years old watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, who will never know Andre Brower as oh, a God. actor. But also, well, it's, it's, right, it's always funny those actors who like right, like Betty White was you know before she was on Golden Girls, before she was like the first on Golden Girls, like the split. And so, oh like, right, yes, you know, they, yeah, yeah. So it's like, and right, and like I always think of her as like, oh well, her humor comes from the fact that she's a prick doing you know ridiculous things. But in fact, like before that, she had this whole other reputation that I just was not culturally aware. Right, yeah, of yeah, until, the, on the uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so like, and right, exactly. So like. But I have to say, I wrote, I was writing, I wanted to write down notes while I was watching this episode. And the only note I managed to write down was, what's up with Leslie Nielsen's, like, totally unbuttoned shirt? It, like, goes down oh, yes. and yeah, 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 yeah. Did you notice that? <laughs> we need to discuss that. <laughs> he had a necklace that had a pendant that was all the way down at the bottom of his open shirt. Yes! It was so long! <laughs> it, was it was so unpleasantly long. long. It was one of the most those, 1970s... Yeah, uh, he, yeah, those were the dog tags, probably. Yeah, it's from, insane. They were down around his navel, and he was just walking around the amusement park with that. Just like, welcome to the seventies. <laughs> In the nineteen seventies, you would just basically get naked from the waist up and harass teenage girls. Oh, Adam. that was strange. There's a yeah, that that was odd. There were two instances of that strangeness <laughs> in this. First, uh, Patrick McGowan winning that giant panda bear and just mm. spending. Way too long talking to a young girl in order to just give her the panda bear. It's like, hey, here, have a panda bear. But instead, he has this whole creepy conversation with her that goes on a while. They were trying to imply something about his character. I probably. But then yeah. later on, you got Columbo uh, kind of being played, but uh, Columbo street harassing uh, <laughs> a little kid at that uh, little uh, that uh, park where they got the trains and everything, too. That, that was strange. Yeah, I got a dog. He's swimming. You're pretty. It's like, you're oh, pretty. oh, hey, hold on. <laughs> the part up. where he says, "You know, you're pretty," which is just like classic street harassment, too. Yes, the PUA uh, guidebook. He's <laughs> working that the 1970s with a child. Um, but yes, let's get back to Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> no, oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Well, one thing also towards the beginning of that with Leslie Nielsen. Uh, Nielsen and McGowan, like, uh, they're talking about the spy stuff at the park, and uh, they're talking about, like, oh, how do I contact, you know, my, my uh, super secret spy contact? Oh, I use the old uh, click-click method, which turns out to be you go to a bar, and you mm. cheat a bar out of a pack of smokes <laughs> at a vending machine. I don't like that. I'm kind, of, I, I'm kind of annoyed for the bar. It's like you pretend you get ripped off for the vending machine, getting the cigarettes, and you make the bartender give you like a buck fifty-five or whatever it cost back then. Does it? Does it make you feel? I think better? he said sixty cents. <laughs> oh, so yeah. it's even okay. Oh, okay, well, in sixty cents, that's fine. But in nineteen seventy-five, that's like forty-eight dollars. Oh my god, and that's terrible. But the uh, the bar is guilty. <laughs> the bar is guilty of uh, of rampant Orientalism. So <laughs> that's true. Surely it's fair. That was just like a tax on their Orientalism. Well, I mean that—that's one thing too. Uh, like the the fact that the whole um, the episode, there's so much like the weird spy stuff and spy TV show and movie references in there. I kind of like the fact that they met in that weird bar because it kind of made it seem like a really cheap, uh, crummy 
version of all that spy stuff. Just made it really, really yeah. just kind of sad and shabby. Which I'm not sure if they meant that as some kind of commentary on all of that or not. I don't know. I mean, even even like uh, going later on when uh, Columbo is being followed around by CIA guys, and they're in a like a faded plumbing truck. Right. It just seemed like a really obvious, silly, ridiculous kind of thing. And I think yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if that was a choice or not. Well, it had to well, be there a choice, lo- but there are a lot of things that were were interesting choices, like the idea of. of confronting Columbo on a train, which is kind of spy, but except it's a parked train at a at a museum. Yes, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. And plus like the eight hundred thousand CIA agents pouring out of their terrible cars in their ugly pants at Travel Town. They just Yeah, that was I a know- really weird scene. The thing I loved about that scene was the fact that uh Columbo just was just kind of looking around almost like a little kid at like mm-hmm. just how ridiculous and overwhelming it was to have all these guys to like, Oh no, go over here. Go between these two trains. No, no, go over here. Here's my secret badge and all that. Nonsense. Yeah. Secret agent X nine. Did you catch when a uh, Columbo was being patted down for bugs that the guy doing it also looked in his hot dog? <laughs> oh, really? No, I didn't notice that. That was awesome. That's great. <laughs> he took Columbo's hot dog, and I was just like, that's charming enough. But then he, like, looked inside the bun for a listening device. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm trying to think of, like, other odd things. Oh, well, also, the, the strange... The strange choices that uh, Magoon was just making and actually playing his character... Right. Just throughout the episode, just his weird line readings. Well, he he sounded, I think I told you this earlier, to me he sounded like Bane from that Batman movie. Yeah, a little bit. He had yeah. that kind of weird sing-song delivery. Yeah. The I know. Oh, that was that was great. Uh, our favorite. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, sorry. I don't know if it was just me or, like, I thought after a while, like, his accent would go in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. Like, it seemed like he was trying to play, even though he's British. It seemed like he was trying to do it like he was an American who's affecting a British accent, so it would he, kind he, of he, he, come he and go. He is an American affecting a British accent, isn't he? I thought Magoon Magoon was born in New York. Oh, he was. I thought Magoon yeah. was British. No, he was born in New York. He's, I think I know he lived most of his life in in Britain. I think he lived most of his life in Britain, but no, he was born in New York. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah, thought all the time. Was British. I know. Yeah, I didn't know went, the whole time. He went, to, he went to school in the UK, according to his Wikipedia page. Oh, well, in that case. Wow. There you I, go. I had no idea. Well, there we go. Now I can't stand him. Now he's just a poser. <laughs> he's no longer classy and educated. Exactly. He's just this, this stupid, lousy, stinking poser. Pretending to be his weird little spy shows over there. RJ hates America. Got yes. it. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. I've got my I got my notes here and a couple other things before we get too far away from the uh, from Leslie Nielsen because we do lose him fairly early in the episode. Uh, the shooting gallery scene had a delightful off-model Popeye. Oh, really? I didn't... Did you notice that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Of course you would, but yes. Yeah, I would, but it's shot to hell. It's delightful, but it's it's just clearly like it was painted by some dude on tin and then shot at by BB guns. Oh, okay. It was actually one of the Target deals. Yes, sir. Oh, okay, okay. I thought it was like some toy that was in the background, actually. Okay. Wasn't for that. Um, so, yeah, there, there's also like the yeah the bluntness we talked about before a little bit about the uh, the actual murder itself. 
mm-hmm. where so he meets with the uh, the nervous uh, in between guy, and then all of a sudden Patrick Green shows up under the boardwalk, and he just kind of asks him like, "Oh, so what are you doing? Oh, just taking the air." And he turns around and he's got the tire iron behind his back, so you see it, and then he just beats the crap out of the tire iron. It is yeah. kind of one of the less elegant murders on this program, I think. It can't be how spies do it. Yeah, exactly. I would think, yeah. It, it seemed like a not very spyish kind of way to uh, do... Th- and also, if he's trying to pin it on a mugger, how many muggers really carry around tire irons to just uh, hit people? How do you think they get to the boardwalk? They have to drive. Oh, that's Break true. Sorry. <laughs> that, you know what, so you do right. whatever's lying around. That's me. That's on me. Actually, right. that's... That reminds me of something, too. Molly, uh, have you always lived in Philadelphia? Yeah. Okay, I've talked to RJ about this, too. And our, um, uh, there, there's a thing about the boardwalk. Uh, in this episode, like, Columbo appears to be a stranger to the boardwalk, even though he lives in L.A., or lives near it anyway. And that, that struck me as odd, because I've lived, I was born in California, and I live now in Seattle, and we have boardwalk slash Fisherman's Wharf slash... Uh, Pike Place Market up in in Seattle, which are all of our tourist trap kind of boardwalk places. And the thing about those places is that if you live in a town that has one of those, you you are keenly aware of the boardwalk because, A, you hate it. You always say, like, oh, it's so touristy. Oh, that's where all the tourists go. Oh, let's not go there. That's not the case with uh, folks in Philadelphia, I've found, and the boardwalk on the shore. People love the boardwalks on the shore, yeah, like I, I, because I'm a Philly kid, so like we, that's where we would go on vacation, right? Like we would go to, we would go down shore, and um, is that? But the shore's in Jersey, me, like, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, the, so the, I mean, but like from Philly, I mean, it was, a two, it was a two hour drive on a Saturday morning when you know thousands of other people were going there. If you from Philly to AC, it's like an hour and a half, so it's super easy to get down there. Yeah. And um, like it's a huge vacation spot, it's a huge like. Yeah, well, you, guys, you guys are the tourists. You guys are the tourists. Yeah, but. But, like, to me, that's not, like, I but mean, I went there is. every single yeah. year. So, to me, it wasn't like I was a tourist. And uh, so, like, right, to me, the boardwalk was like, oh, that's where the arcade is. And, like, oh, that's where the the awesome, I mean, you have to pass the boardwalk to get to the beach. <laughs> so, like, the, yeah, you would, I mean, you would, I think every Philadelphian who's a shore person, like, knows, is familiar with, the different types of boardwalks. Like if I if I meet anyone from Philly, and um, one of, the first question is I ask like, oh, where'd you go to high school? And then the second question, like one of within our like, let's try to figure out how we know each other. Philadelphia's <laughs> a small town thing. I immediately ask like, what shore town they go to? And, like I can tell what kind of right. person they are is based on like, oh, you went to Wildwood? Like oh, okay, you went to a city? Like you kind of know based on like you you just know all of those things. It's weird. Nice. Well, the, the thing we always come to is when you're a native, like I lived in Santa Cruz and San Jose and San Francisco and Seattle, and uh, the thing that always happens is you, you hate the Fisherman's Wharf or you hate the boardwalk until you're really bored one weekend, and then you go, no, we, we haven't been to the boardwalk in forever, and then that's when you go down. Well, I'm trying to think what the uh, – okay, so in town in Philadelphia, the equivalent would be – would that be the historic stuff then? I don't know. It might be like you're living ah. like, I'm not sure. Yeah, it could be, but it's never. I mean, I've lived here ten years. I still have never stepped foot inside Independence Hall. That's kind I of keep neat. meaning yeah. to, but it's not something that would occur to me to do on like a day where there's nothing to do. I would just the, the thing about a boardwalker or anything Philadelphia has nothing is what I'm saying. 
<laughs> the thing about these actions is they're never historical. They're just dopey fun. It's just shooting galleries and photo albums or arcades or stuff like that. Oh, well, Philadelphia has no dopey fun. It's either uh, murders, <laughs> or, it's either murders or history. That's it for Philadelphia. Uh, Nothing in between. Sports too. Oh, we have sports, sports, murders, and history. That's all we got in Philadelphia. That's it. So come to Philadelphia <laughs> for the sports, murders, and history. It's a lovely town. Oh, called GPTMC. I got their new slogan. Get rid of that with love crap. <laughs> I've, I've been right, exactly. I've been to Philadelphia so many times. I love it every time. But I talked to RJ, and I swear he's living in Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I live. In well, South he was in like way deep South Philly. Like I don't. <laughs> yeah. No, last, well, no. Last night I was able to hear the specific chants from the uh, Eagles game. Like, when wow. something would happen, I, you were able to discern, like, oh, my God, they're doing the E-A-G-L-E-S thing. You could actually hear it in our house because it gets that loud. And, and we're, wow. like, jeez, I don't know, like, seven, eight, maybe more blocks north of the stadiums. And you can still hear it because it just gets so insanely loud and intense. And they were winning, so that helped, too. So Sure. So we don't hear that every year. Hey, <laughs> is what I'm That's saying. True. Sometimes they lose. It doesn't matter. Like, for instance, I didn't hear that as much during the Phillies games this season. No, you just heard a lot of, like, heavy sighs. Yes. Like, Yeah, pretty much. I want to derail this completely, but keep in mind that my local baseball team's the Mariners, so. Oh, never mind. No no pity. The Phillies are the West. (laughs) I don't know. I I, I would say, actually, Seattle is the Philadelphia of the West. It's not a bad... Oh, it's pretty. Allergy. But let's pretty uh, let's yeah, uh, let's get back to Colombo. All oh, right, yeah, we... Colombo. All right, we're not doing a, <laughs> we're not doing travel talk. Uh, we got wasted words there for a second. Is what happened? Oh God, no one wants that. Oh, hey, God. hey, wasted was, words, um, super fans. Like, kind of like speaking of place, though. Like I didn't get a sense that. I mean, there was a boardwalk, but that could have been. You know, like the the sense of place is very funny within Colombo. Like I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it was the time period, like the seventies. But like yeah, that, you know, like they go to Patrick McGowan's house. He's like, there's like a pool of hot ladies in bikinis. And that like, scene, yeah. I mean, it's like a seventies LA scene that, like, you know, like they have those scenes, like the you know this, these hilarious like L, like super LA movies from the seventies that you know it's just, just like all of a sudden you show up and you're just like, where are all these girls just coming from? <laughs> right. I, actually, I was going to bring that up, uh, talking about like uh, like a theme throughout Colombo, pretty much is the whole class thing. You know, mm-hmm. and there's a ton of that in this episode, and that seems actually a really good example. Because I mean, what uh, McGowan's cover as an operative for the CIA is as a world famous consultant. Very vague. He's a consultant that people like, and he hosts these huge parties on Sunday afternoons with lots of uh, uh, folks from around the world, ladies in bikinis laying by the pool, uh, pitchers of orange juice, right. And he's just a very rich and successful guy. He knows lots of languages, and that's that seemed like a really good example of the whole yeah, uh, class really, thing. He's fluent in completely fake Cantonese. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's fluent in Bing Bong Chin Chong. That was a terrible scene. Oh, yeah, the way it was like uh, when Columbo stops by and... Actually, and he stops by the house and he has his his Asian manservants, and he's literally just going, uh, biao yao shu bu wa ya ya shu wa wa. If well, that was do you know he was? Do you know he was not saying real things? 
If if that turns out to be real, I'm going to be super embarrassed. But it sounded like utter gibberish. Well, I I can't say because I don't know the language. So I'm not sure <laughs> it's be true. Because I would counter. I would say that scene is one of my favorite scenes in any Columbo episodes I've seen thus far. Not just that part, but like that whole long sequence. I thought it was Start, kind of starting amazing. at the gas station. On yes, starting at the gas station. Where it, yeah, that actually goes right through the end of the episode. Like that, that starts a whole real role. Yeah, yeah, that like is terrific to watch because it was just it was really starting at the gas station. Columbo goes to the gas station. He's having uh, he got some funny Columbo business where he's like uh, telling the guy how much gas to get based on what change he can find in his pockets. He drops money. Right. Then McGowan shows up and tries to be the big shot by paying for his gas with ten bucks. And uh, Columbo then goes to his house wanting to return the money. And it's more of McGowan showing he has the power, demonstrating to Columbo that, uh, oh, he's been bugging his house so he knows so many things about him, uh, giving Columbo expensive wine, bringing food in, uh, speaking a different language in front of him, having this huge house, having servants and everything. And then the thing just expertly turns on a dime as soon as they both realize that Columbo has figured out how to freaking trap him. And to me, that is like just the acting in that scene, the way it's directed, the way that it is, <laughs> the, the, the shift in power in that scene, mm-hmm. I think is just done so well. I, I was just, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh crap, that was amazing. I, I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, McGowan really owns that with a, a beautifully long pause, like an excruciatingly long pause in just saying the name of an airplane. Yes. And he yeah, yeah. rattles off the first two parts, and then there's a long pause, and you just see him go, fuck. I'm screwed. And Silver Star, or however he says it. Yeah, right, yeah. Probably said it like that, because he said everything like that in this episode, yeah. Hey, RJ, hey, RJ yes. um, uh, tell me tell me what your wife's favorite piece of music is. Why, it, it, it's Madame Butterfly. I know! Yeah, that's that was just so strange. <laughs> that was so strange. I loved it, though. It's so charming to me that he's so arch and camp in this. And bizarre. Yeah. Uh, he's so theatrical, and that makes him more wonderfully evil, because he has, he's clearly, like most Columbo murderers have no real regret, but yeah. he's all—he's like enthusiastically filled with no regret. Yeah, he's just a huge jerk, and he's fine with things, fears are untouchable, because he's at the CIA, so who cares? So, yeah. It's wonderful. Um... But he's, like, so great at it. Like, Patrick Goon's so weird, and he's so good yes. at it. Like, being such a mm-hmm. weird... Like, yeah, no, I, I murdered a dude. That's cool. Like, I'm just going to go back to it. <laughs> like, he just has, like, a... He he pulls he pulls it off in, like, this very strange way. Um, well, speaking of that, him, him being uh, weird and strange, so the way the, the, the scene is done, was the audience supposed to be surprised that Steinmetz is actually... McGowan's character in a weird way. It seems like they take mm-hmm. such a long time with him pulling off the wig and the face makeup. Where you're supposed to be like, oh, it's him? When it seems like it's kind of from the beginning, you'd be like, well, yeah, it's him. <laughs> I mean, do you think people were supposed to be shocked by that or no? I mean, I, yeah, I thought that was kind of like, like oh, okay, it's obviously this dude. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. It looks like him wearing a shitty beard and like wearing terrible facial hair. And, and yeah. not changing his voice too much. It sounded like, oh, it's Patrick no. McGowan doing a German accent. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think... 
It's a tough call. We are benefiting from modern technology there. And I, I think... Like how so? There's television? A pos- well, there's a possibility that when they were shooting that on the television screens of the day, it may not have been as clear. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know that. I don't know that these are remastered, but I imagine that what we're watching on Netflix and such are drawn from the original tapes, and maybe we can see a little more clearly what's going on. I I know there's no. I mean, I wasn't fooled, but uh, and it's hard to imagine that they expected people to be fooled. No, actually, you know what? As I think, but it couldn't have been. They must have. They must have yeah. counted on the audience knowing because Steinmetz just straightens up and freaking tries to murder. Right, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, why else would he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Melville, yeah, that yeah. guy, so they, that poor bastard. You know, t- yeah, you talk about Melville because that was your favorite part, wasn't it? Well, that one of my favorite scenes. This whole thing is like it's, it's it's such a long shot and such a long scene. They spend a lot of time on Melville in his sad little apartment drinking beer. His weird little sad um, studio apartment where he's just kind of sitting on a mattress drinking a beer and watching TV yeah. until. Uh, and McGowan is Steinmetz calls. But it seems like, wow, that's that guy's like a Friday night or something. Oh. <laughs> I know. It's, it's kind of sad. This guy. And he just, there's this little house, kind of like, eh, hey, I guess I'll watch whatever was on a Friday night in 1974 and waiting for his like a weird German boss to call to car bomb him. <laughs> he did look right to like. Do is you know to like sabotage his life? <laughs> yes, pretty much. And not and, kill uh, him, just hurt him badly. Put him in the hospital he, so he could yell at a police sketch artist. So he could harangue a police sketch artist. No, no, take all that off the top. Make that part bigger. And he make gets that so angry about it. He's the he's such a <laughs> jerk art critic. He gets so angry at the sketch artist. And I'll tell you, as a as a, a professional uh, graphic designer, <laughs> I've had art directors that bad. And I've had guy, art directors who just say, take that off the top and make it more like this. I'm like, yeah, all right. The guy ends up like, drawing kind of either like this this cross between uh, Harold Gould and Stan Lee. It's like, that's him, exactly. <laughs> that's Steinmetz. I love how, I love how the drawing isn't just, a, like, it's not just a police sketch. Like, you, which police sketches just do parts. That drawing had, like, presence and emotion. That drawing had a personality. It, it, was, it was a drawing for a TV guide cover back then, is what it was. It was. <laughs> you know, that guy could have had a job on the boardwalk. He could have, yes. <laughs> and was Steinmetz skateboarding? Does he like horses? Draws a big head <laughs> Steinmetz on a horse. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, he's got a booth just down from the, uh, from the odd photo booth. The weird photo booth a... was quite a scam. It was very strange. Right? The uh, the large-breasted photographer will take your picture and then demand money from you, or she'll uh, rat you out to the pigs. I guess so. Yeah. And then, and then Columbo kind he... of given her, like, uh, lessons on, like, well, you got to be more diligent. It's like, oh, come on, Columbo. <laughs> that was, like, a perfect lesson in, like, male gaze, too. Like, the way that, like, you know, it was, like, if I was going back to film school, so like, like, that's what I would, like, show class and be, like, you want to see some male gays up in here? Like, let's see <laughs> how they shoot this one woman. Yeah, they don't like. Yeah, it's they shoot her from below. Right, like, she's yes. constantly shot with right. like, the angles. Like, and it's not, it's not a huge. It's not so much that you like 
by like, oh, clearly they're shooting her from below. But like, they shoot her so that her boobs look as enormous as humanly oh, yeah. possible. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not saying that this woman wasn't well endowed to begin with, but you know, she like is clearly she's clearly shot in a very specific. Well, way. yeah, that the, yeah, it was a halter top, and they put the camera down there, so it's okay. like, yeah, uh, exactly. doubling it up, and yeah. I watched this from with my wife, and she pointed out that the shot was from um, basically crotch perspective. Like <laughs> yeah. if if your if your if your dick could look up and see things, that's what it would have seen when it looked up at her. <laughs> that's an excellent. That's an excellent observation. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm still upset that we didn't clearly get to see the button. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, a little bit. And also, I, wanted, like, I love the little button. I, I, I kind of wanted it, it. It was one of those things where do you ever wonder? I think uh, actually you had a thing in the AV club this week contributed to about like uh, props you'd want to have uh, yes. from things over the years. And I wonder about things like this where like, well, who took those things home when they got done filming stuff? And that was one of those I wondered about. Like, well, who got that button? Did Peter Falk, was he able to take that little button prop home with him? Was that in his stuff when he died? Was it in some drawer or something? Like, who who got that little photo Columbo button from that day of shooting the show? I wish it were me. Yes. It might, maybe it's on... Maybe right? It's, had, I, had I seen that episode before this, I would have, uh, I would have certainly, I would have certainly... Uh, changed my answer from Sheriff Claus and Clueless to the Columbo button. No, I, th- I think your thing was probably more interesting than a button <laughs> from a Columbo episode. Um, yeah, but that that um, I was going to. I had something else about the uh, about the weird amusement park thing. Oh yeah, like I'm wondering, like the backstory, the guy who runs the shooting gallery, because he seemed pretty nervous at first when a cop was talking to him. So he's probably got... So I don't know if he either is running a crooked booth or if he's got some other stupid bad carny stuff in his past. A lot of convictions for murder. Yeah, probably. This was the only job I could get. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just just had a very sad thought about the poor girl who got the uh, giant panda. What's that? uh, That's how he picks his victims. Oh. He picks he picks his victims based on who has the panda. Oh. Wait, who does? Uh, what the the, the, goon thing the guy who runs the shooting the guy oh. runs the shooting gas. That's why he was so upset to lose one. Not because of the yeah. cost. But no, he knows he has to go kill. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay. That's not good. Glad to help. Glad to be uh, let, let, let's get away from the serial killer. Sure. Uh, talk about Vito Scotty. Vito Scotty hey. showing up in this episode. Uh, Vito Scotty who was in um the uh, Johnny Cash episode, the first one we talked about, uh, also from The Godfather. And this one, uh, he plays a guy who runs some sort of Italian grape importing concern. And yes. uh, it's also one of my other favorite scenes in the episode because you come in on uh, him talking to Colombo, and they're just speaking Italian back and forth. Yeah, uh, John, 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 yeah. any, any, uh, any ruling on whether or not that was real Italian or fake Italian? Uh, I, of course, I'm not really trying to be a language expert here, but it <laughs> to be real. It seemed real, but that was just a nice, pleasant scene that did not need to really be in the episode, did not add anything to it whatsoever. I'll tell you, I was able to make out that Columbo did ask for a copy of the speech. Oh, good. Good. So, get you that much. Okay. But that but, was... Yeah, that was love. I love the when he when he says, leans in real close and says, could I possibly get some more of those grapes? And then, <laughs> 
that whole exchange that oh no and he's like throws his hands up and he's waving like oh face. I couldn't possibly have that many grapes. Oh, that's the best scene. It was nice, but it, but it was one of those things where like I I didn't I realized after watching it this was like one of the longer episodes that was kind of padded I think and that seems like that was oh. kind of padding things a little bit because it had nothing to do to add to any of the rest of the story or the mystery. Yeah. So there we go. I like it. I just thought it's. Well, I like it. Adding goes, goes, it's really a charming scene. That's true. It was very charming. It was very charming. Um, okay, trying to come up. I'm looking at my notes here. Other things that were strange or interesting or odd or not. The, uh, the, the clock in Magoon's apartment, uh, his office, had the least clock like hands I've ever seen on a clock. I didn't really notice that. You, you take another look. It looks like somebody put a twister spinner on a clock face. Because like the minute the minute hand is a bright red thin hand, and then the hour hand was like a construction paper arrow cut out by a five year old. I th- I think part of that was uh, stagflation in the nineteen seventies. Uh, there were a lot of price controls, especially in the clock industry. Uh, I think it was Ford. A lot of his policies, I think that might have been part of it. No, I don't know. I'm just making up stuff. <laughs> I've been reading about the 70s. Yeah. Wow, I stunned John into silence with that stupid, uh, stupid thing. Okay. I, just, I can't believe I just heard a stagflation joke. Yeah, there, was, there wasn't a joke. It was crappy. Um, oh, oh, he's... he's uh, uh, one thing, uh, like I, I like when they kind of do things, uh, like they intimate... Uh, Colombo habits in this thing, and apparently that weird travel town place where they have all the trains, which is an actual, honest to god, real park in Los Angeles that still exists. You can go there today and see it. Climb on the same trains. Um, apparently, for some reason, Colombo likes going to the snack bar there for chili dogs on a regular yep. basis. And insulting the uh, hefty dude who works at the thing. Yeah, just like straight up with a fat joke. What was yes. that? A mean fat it's joke. A, uh, it's a pool, not a lake. Oh, thanks, Columbo. Yeah, but it was kind of... I, I, but then the way that Quake, uh, that he smiles about it is like, ah, he's going to take it just fine. But of course, they're spitting in his food. Well, when he doesn't eat... Good. That was mean. <laughs> It was. It is. It's terrible. And you know what? You smile when you get a fat joke, Arjun. You smile when somebody tells you a fat joke no, because no, you're trying to let them show that hurts. Columbo was kind of smirking. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I know what I'm doing to being a jerk. Uh, oh. I was the fat trash at him for no reason. <laughs> and the guy <laughs> throw, was like... Throw the fat trash at him. <laughs> throw the fat trash at him for no reason. And the, guy was like, and the guy was like, hey, how's your dog? Yeah, I'm really interested in your life. And you as a person, Columbo. Yeah, but you're fat. Ah. And then he walks off, and he harasses a child. That was a strange <laughs> turn of events. Yeah, the harassing the child thing, I did, that does keep going back to that, because that's very <laughs> peculiar. I don't know. Oh, 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 somebody just knows my notes. Uh, so in the course of that scene, uh, where they're at um, McGowan's house, examining the photos in the wall, there was one photo that looked weird. Mm. It's like McGowan in like Elizabethan uh, clothing. I looked it up. It is actually a uh, publicity photo of Patrick McGowan from a 1971 film called Mary Queen of Scots. Okay. That they just threw on the wall. <laughs> yeah. 
It's 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 he was it's a photo of him from that film, a publicity photo from that film. I was able to find it online, and yeah, they just had it on the wall as like a portrait of his character for some odd do, reason. Do you think if we looked at more? Well, photos, he is a spy, you know, like maybe true. going back maybe in time. <laughs> could be. He's an he's an immortal spy. He's time spy. Yes. Do you, do you think they had a picture of him like as Doctor Sin, the Scarecrow? If we look back at that wall, do you think we'll find like there's also the one where he, the time he was dis, he went undercover as the warden at Alcatraz? You know, it kind of makes sense because it also the time spy thing because uh, of uh, um, William Shatner. They had that photo of him as Captain Kirk, right, in his house <laughs> in his episode. It's like, oh well, there he is in the future. So it's like there's these whole thing like uh, murderers who uh, are from like the future and past, just kind of <laughs> killing people in Colombo. So and like, fiction. Hey, nerds! Murder. Hey, nerds! Here's a reason to watch the show. There's time travelers in Colombo. So start watching it, nerds. If hey, you uh, your Doctor Who stuff. Speaking of nerds, of if any uh, if any type nerds are watching... If any what? Type nerds. Oh, type. Type. Like, you're a type nerd. I thought nerd. like, tyke nerds. Like, little kids. Yeah. People okay. who are really into little kids. No, I just... What? I was trying no, what? To, oh! I'm trying to figure out what typeface is used on the CIA badges. Oh, I don't it's know. It's just, it's a really, it's a, it appears to be a grotesque serif, or sans serif, but I couldn't, it didn't, it didn't seem to conform to, you know, uh, Helvetica, Accidents, Futura, Universe, any of the common ones. So I was curious if anybody who happens to be watching the episode was able to, to pin down what if, that was. If, if any of our listeners want to write in, if you know that font. I'll put it uh, on the top. Columbo at thecityus.net. There you go. Uh, speaking of things and people's wallets and fonts and stuff, uh, so yeah, so uh, Larry Tate from Bewitched, uh, who hadn't aged well by that point in the seventies. Well, you know, seventies, they they were a hell of a drug. They, nobody looked good in the seventies, um, but he looked kind of really not good. So he pulls out his card, and it's the most ridiculous sounding fake spy title. Is it Secret Agent X Nine? Is that what it was on his it's business C- card? C- Secret Agent X-9. Yeah, and I thought that sounded strange. I googled it, and uh, yeah, it turns out it's this old comic strip about mm. secret agents that was written by Dashiell Hammett from, like, the 1940s. That's some crazy deep, like, deep... Why did they you know, do like... that? <laughs> it just makes me wonder, like, how many other weird references were there to weird old spy things that I have no idea what the hell they were? Well, the other weird thing about X-9 is he was in the FBI. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a CIA officer. He was he was in the FBI. Uh, it's all the same. It's all the same security state, John. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Gotcha. You don't know. I'll check out your YouTube channel for more videos exposing the lies. I accept Bitcoin donations. It's the only currency that they can't touch yet. Thanks, Bilderbergs. <laughs> And he's now an enemy of the Bitcoin people. Got it. Yes, there we go. Um, so, yeah, okay, so they have this. So there's that reference. There's a stuff to um, um, uh, what's the, the prisoner. Yeah. I, I also read someplace there were maybe some references to his uh, Secret Agent Man show that Patrick McGoon was also in, like, the early 60s. But I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan enough of of that show to or like I don't I think I've seen one episode, so I don't know anything about it. I've now. seen maybe a photo from it in a book once. So, I am a pretty big fan. 
Having seen it, I don't know. Um, so, okay, overall, uh, what, what do we think of this episode? Uh, Molly, uh, both from the uh, perspective of someone who had not really seen the show before and someone who covers a lot of television, uh, what did you think of this episode? Okay, not okay, kind of like, eh, what do you think? I've never done it. I mean, like, I've, I was, I'm, it, it kind of piqued my interest, the pacing and the, just the, I mean, Peter Fox is like such an amiable guy that, how can you not want to watch him? You know what I mean? And if you like the Patrick McGowan stuff, uh, there's another one where Patrick McGowan plays a completely different type of character. Uh, I meant called... to ask you guys about that because I Googled it and I wanted to know so he's a completely different guy. So uh, now, Dawn's now Early Light. By Dawn's Early Light is the episode. He's this uh, weird guy who runs a uh, military academy and kills someone who wants to close it down. And he's just this weird, creepy, like... Um, uh, faded, faded soldier. Yeah, faded soldier guy, and he does it very well. And it's just kind of yeah. How many? How many uh, prisoners? How many Columbos was he on? Five, four. Um, I. Th- think I know maybe three, four, but he. I think he directed more than he actually acted in. He directed like uh, more than he was actually on. He yeah, okay. really liked Columbo for some reason, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Looks like he directed five and was on four. So there's plenty okay. of Patrick McGill to go around. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, John, what, what did you think? Did oh, you I love this one? one. Yeah. I just hands down love it. There's some there are some amazing scenes. The the gas station scene, the uh, the scene in the game room at McGowan's house. Uh, really just uh, McGowan and Nielsen do a pretty good uh, team together, even if Nielsen's, you know, kind of a stiff actor. It's still really good. Uh, and this is this is a like I would highly recommend this one maybe even as an intro episode for a lot of people who are interested in Columbo. Oh really? It's not too not too kind of weird. I don't think it's too I don't think it's too dense at all. I think it, I don't think it's too weird. I think it's got uh, you know it's not a typical kind of murderer, but I think it's a real showcase for Falk's abilities and yeah, Magoon, yeah, Magoon brings a lot of great direction to it. I think the uh, the the gotcha at the end is a little weak. Yeah, I think it a, is a, a little decent lawyer, yeah, strange. Uh, decent lawyer could have gotten him out of it, but. <laughs> uh, the uh, no, I, th- I think this is a this is a top notch one. I'm very fond of it. Yeah, no, it's good. It, it's I enjoy it too. But yeah, I agree. Like the ending, how he actually gets him is a little like, yeah, okay, sure. The ch- sure. listening to the news broadcast. All right, sure, why not? Well, that'll hold up in court. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's I thought it, there's a lot of like really good kind of recurring Columbo stuff in it. Um. I liked it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's not one of my favorites, but it's good. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's not bad. Well, Maybe there we my go. second favorite Magoon. Oh, what's your favorite? Oh, uh, Last Salute to the Commodore. <laughs> hey! Or what, what is it? Is that what it's called? No, no, no. It's no, Dawn's no, it's uh, by Dawn's Early Light, yeah. Yeah, what's Last Salute to the Commodore is a different one, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a uh, Robert Vaughn. I've heard it's yeah. not very good, and it's just weird. I don't uh, know. Dawn, Dawn's, Dawn's Early Light. Love that one. Too. That's a good episode, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Molly, for being on the program. Uh, where should people go to find your stuff on the Internet? Uh, they can find me at the AV Club, uh, which is avclub.com. And um, if they're really interested in local Philadelphia news, they are more than welcome to go to philly.com, where I appear almost daily. And uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at Molly Eichel and spell my last name E-I-C-H-E-L. All right, cool. And uh, John, what do you, what do you have going on? Do you have anything that people should be looking for? Anything well, recent, you, perhaps? 
Yeah, actually, RJ, uh, for our readers, uh, our readers, our listeners, RJ and I uh, have both been working uh, work recently on a Halloween comic. We're a little past the season, I know, but if you go to comicsology.com and look for Boo Halloween Stories, you can read a, uh, a book that I edited and RJ uh, did a story for. And uh, we've got a, a Christmas, a holiday version of Boo Halloween Stories coming out, which will be horror stories set around the holiday season. And about when, about uh, roughly when will that be out in December? Uh, that should actually be out the Wednesday before Christmas. Which oh, really? Sweet. Okay, yes. cool. Always awesome. just before. Which uh, should be the 17th of December over on comicsology.com. Oh, I won't be home. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> I don't need you, can, you can set your machine to record the comic. Okay, good. Comicsology.com. I'll have to remember to do that. I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask my son to set it for me. I'm not so good at the machines. <laughs> Yeah, your computer is still flashing 12 noon. Yeah, it's, it's ever yeah. since uh, 1985. All right, well, that's the uh, program for this time around. Uh, I want to thank uh, Molly once again. Uh, if you want to listen to other episodes of Just One More Thing, uh, you can go to the citydesk.net slash Just One More Thing or look for us on the podcast section of iTunes or right there in the TV and film section or whatever sort of program you use for listening to your podcasts. And fake radio shows. I don't know. Uh, if you want to write to us, we do like getting emails. And boy, we got a few last time. Uh, we, we read them all. All of you very angry. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Columbo at the citydesk.net. Uh, we also get a, uh, one of those tumblers uh, where we post uh, screen grabs from the episodes and other supplemental material people send in to us we find on our own. That is uh, teamcolumbo.tumblr.com. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're going to go check that out. By the way, to see we actually did find a Columbo cartoon dog, thanks to one of our listeners. Yeah, that was odd. I didn't think that yeah. actually existed. That's peculiar. Actual um, set cartoon based on Columbo, so enjoy that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's the program. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Oh, listen. Just one more thing. Oh, you know, I, I still got to charge you for the first hot dog you dropped. I know. Brainy Smurf is the brainy one. Handy Smurf is the handy one. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but actually over over there, that's that's the ladies' room. I know. You're, uh, you're, you're wearing uh, two pairs of pants, one pair of pants over another pair of pants, you know. I know. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Mr. Brenner. Uh, we're all out of the, the porterhouse. All I got left is, is uh, New York strips. I know. Mr. Magoon, as your doctor, I can't tell you enough, but if you keep doing that, you're going to get cancer in the taint. I know.